Hello and welcome to the Slow Home Podcast. This is episode number 126 and it is hostful time. You, my favourite time of month. <laughs> What's good? We've got the first awkward, stupid joke out of the way. It's on to bigger and better things. Well, let the hostful be the judge of that. Okay. <laughs> How are you going? Oh, I'm good. How are you feeling? I'm good. Good. I good. am super good. Yeah, we're in. We're right into the back stretch of deck at the moment. Deck being uh, the short term for December. Okay. <laughs> You're a deckhead. <laughs> and aren't we having a lot of fun? We're, we've got some cracking questions we do when don't we have good questions though the answer is never we That's never right. have good all, we never all, have not good questions they're always very thoughtful not sure about the answers the answers have a lot, lot to be desired i think the que- yeah the questions are phenomenal you guys um you know you know what i like about it uh people who who submit questions like they first of all i think i just like the different kind of insights and the perspective that yeah. people offer but you guys are super insightful mm. and you know you you look at things from a perspective that maybe we don't because we've been talking about it for quite a long time or, or thinking about it from our own perspectives and I absolutely love the opportunity to kind of I don't know walk walk around in your shoes a bit in your brains a bit mm. it's it's fantastic and it's brought about a whole heap of understanding for us as well over the the past you know couple of years um, speaking of which, we've only got a couple of shows left for the year. I was going to say that. Should we just give a wrap-up of what we're going to do for the rest of the year? Sure. Okay. Well, today's a hostful. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Captain Obvious. And then you've got a, a listener chat, I think, or a, I don't know, you've got one interview, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we'll get back on for another hostful just before Christmas. Yeah, like an, an end-of-year, year-in-review kind wrap of up. hostful, and um, we'll talk through our experiments. Yep, set the scene for next year as well. Yep, because there'll be a few changes next year. So There'll be a heap of changes. Heaps, heaps of changes. Heaps of changes. So, yeah, only a few episodes left, mm. and then we'll do something exciting for January. The, the summer series. The summer series. Yep. Are we talking about it now? More on, that, more on that later. More on that later. Let's get into it. All right. The first question sent through is from Jane. And she's going to talk about creativity as a theme. So she asked, what do you think about the relationship between creativity and stuff? A lot of my creative process involves being inspired by things, designs, beautiful objects, etc. She also likes to collect things that that she finds interesting, like stones, shapes, materials, to inspire her at some future point. She finds that pairing back on stuff doesn't sit that well with the creative process. So it's a bit of a tricky question, Brooke. Mm -hmm. On the one hand, she has real bowerbird tendencies, and on the other, she's trying to simplify. So what are your thoughts on this? Because it can be quite contradictory. Yeah, yes, it can. On On short answer, it's super contradictory. It is. Yeah. Because... 
because you can sort of relate to this absolutely when you had your jewelry business totally like i would collect beautiful pieces of paper and fabric and you know paint swatches and things yeah. like that things that that really just appealed to me yeah uh, and it was helpful in terms of my creative process you know it informed designs and uh, you know different colorways and all that kind of stuff mm. and i would never view that as a bad thing or a negative thing um i think the key really that's underlying all that else that, that i'm going to say is it's a question of intention you know if you're mm-hmm. keeping things truly like individually asking why you're keeping them and the answer is because they inspire you there is nothing at all wrong with that nothing at all you know and i think this is probably probably one of my biggest issues with the you know the quote-unquote rules approach of either minimalism or like what whatever you want to call it that people find themselves having to feeling like they have to adhere to these rules when it's sort of going against their their creative process in this particular instance you know and and people are like oh, I can't keep it I can't keep these beautiful things because you know I'm into minimalism yeah you can you absolutely can keep those things if they are genuinely inspiring genuinely help to foster your creativity and I think the problem is when we start to use that reason as an excuse to keep everything. I think that's where the the issue comes into play because if you, uh, you know, you go through your collection of of feathers and rocks and papers and things like that, there may well be a significant chunk of those things that don't inspire you. And they're the things that you can let go. I think there's a difference between keeping inspirational, beautiful objects and just holding on to stuff, which becomes clutter. Yeah, so do you do you recommend people like those creative people that are pursuing those creative passions to you know, and you see these beautiful studios where there might be inspiration walls mm. or panels and you know, and and my mind immediately goes to there's a lot of clutter and stuff in those spaces. Mm. Do you do you have a recommendation or something that is should people every two months go and <laughs> have a look at sort of questioning things or do you know what I mean like yeah, I do. otherwise like I feel for Jane because it can get out of control totally and I remember the studio that we had when you were um designing jewelry mm. and that got out of control there was just yeah. so much stuff like pa- I mean there was packaging and all that sort of stuff with yours as well yeah not only straight creative stuff you know is there something that people can set a reminder that go through your space and and question the mindfulness of keeping things maybe i think it depends on the person it depends on the kind of creative work that you do you know if you're for me for with me for example when i was designing jewelry in an ideal world let's say i was still designing jewelry now but i'd adopted this sort of simplified way of living and real focus on mindfulness i would probably kind of break it up into um seasons of like design seasons. So I'd keep things that inspired me for a season and I'd keep them around and let them, you know, inform whatever I was doing. And then once that season had wrapped up or that project had finished or that book had been written or whatever it is that you're working on, you then revisit the things that have inspired you. Keep some of the ones that you love that, you know, genuinely inspire you or genuinely, um, you know, have a place in your creative process and let the other ones go, you know. so But I, it, it totally depends because you'll see – um, artists or writers spaces that 
are just full of stuff. Mm. Absolutely chock-a-block. Like I'm literally staring at Stephen King's on writing at the moment. Mm. He's got his feet up on the desk and he's got papers piled yeah. everywhere. And you know what? If that informs his creativity, I'm not going to tell I'm no. not going to tell him anything, but I'm not going to tell anyone that it's it's not okay because we all work differently and we all find our our creative spaces in a different way. I know I do know for me that uh, I lose clarity of mind once I get to a certain level of stuff. You know, uh, I got, if I have a cluttered desk, which I'm looking at right now, I've got papers and stuff on my desk. That doesn't that doesn't set me up personally for great creativity because mm. I find it, you know, overwhelming. Mm. So I think it's a matter of understanding the way that you best work and trying it. If you're someone who's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a, a creative, chaotic kind of person and I only find my, my vibe when I'm in that, that kind of space, that might be true, but also maybe play around with it and see if it's actually true. You could find, a, you know, a deeper level of clarity when you remove some of that clutter. The other thing that we do is holding on to things for the wrong reason. Hold on to them That's because, yeah, yeah, they're inspiring. Great. They yeah. genuinely help move your creativity forward or they, you know, bring something out in you. Wonderful. Mm. But if we hold on to things just in case, like just in case it inspires me, just in case I find something beautiful in it and from there I, you know, create something just in case, whatever, that's not a good enough reason to hold on to things because that's where they become clutter. That's where they become that heavy negative kind of presence in our, in our space. And the other reason that I think creative people particularly hold on to things is because they think they should, as in this is what a creative person would have. This is what people would expect of me as a writer, as a painter, as a sculptor, as a, you know, a knitter, whatever. This is what I should have. Like, don't, worry about those stories just question whether or not you personally want to keep it whether you personally find it inspiring or beautiful you know and i think kind of acknowledging that we tell ourselves stories about the stuff that we keep and the reasons that we keep them and questioning whether those stories are actually true mm. is a really good place to to yeah. look as well what's your thoughts on technology that would help you um you know take that same creative process but do it on, on a computer, things like, like Pinterest or Pinterest, as I like to call it. It took you like three years yeah. to learn how to pronounce Pinterest. Really did. <laughs> I don't use Pinterest, but... No, you do use Pinterest. I, I do use Pinterest. Isn't that... It Doesn't that recreate that yeah. creative process? That was the whole point, I think, of Pinterest was it? starting. It was yeah. sort of making digital inspiration boards. Mm. I think they're great. I really do. You know, I think... But they won't work for everyone. No. I think for some people, process. it's a textural yeah. thing. It's a being yeah. able to hold it in your hands and study it from all different yeah. sorts of... And, you know, like most um, most most curation kind of things mm. online, Pinterest has become just another way of comparing ourselves to other people. Yeah. You know, so you, yeah. can, you, you can absolutely use it as a, a place to kind of pull your creative inspirations together, but you can also find yourself highly distracted and using it and using it for procrastination. Totally. So I think it's great, you know, and, and um, if you're someone who doesn't need to hold whatever it is in your hand. That, or hold that, it for a short period of time. Sure, absolutely. You know, and, and like I was saying, going back to, uh, you know, seasonal decluttering oh, of our please, inspiration. Please go back to that. <laughs> you can 
for example, if you have like a, a season's worth of fabrics and color swatches that you're not going to use again, but you really mm. love them, mm. scan them. You know, create a, a file or a folder in Dropbox or in Evernote or something like that. And you can keep them, mm. but you don't actually have to keep the physical item. You know, and you can dip back into those if ever you kind of get nostalgic. Mm. So I think you can definitely utilize technology, um, you know, in, in that way as well. I'd just love to have a creative space, wear overalls with paint on them. <laughs> That's my idea okay. of, of that. Okay. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. I'd love a big canvas that I could just draw something avant-garde. Okay. So when I hear like paint splattered overalls, yeah. I think of the movie scene that was in pretty much every 80s movie of like the pregnant wife in overalls <laughs> painting the baby's nursery with her partner and then like her partner Pops a little bit of paint on her nose. Sticking the paintbrushes in their hair. <laughs> exactly. So you want to be a pregnant woman in the 80s? Well, we'll go into that a little bit later. Delve, <laughs> delve down into that. Excellent. Oh, dear. Let's move on. Shall we? I think we shall. I think we Hope, must. Hopefully that, um, yeah, that was just our thoughts. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry, to, to wrap it up, I yes, do think... wrap it up. Oh, wrap it up. Wrap up. I do think that it's uh, it's an area that's kind of rife with either pitfalls or potential feelings of, you know, hypocrisy. Don't let it be. Don't don't be hard on yourself about it. I mm. mean, I think everyone has their, their ways of, of tapping into creativity and their ways of dealing with it. And it could be like most ways of, of simplifying and decluttering. It's probably iterative. You know, you'll, you'll maybe trim off the top kind of 10% of clutter and, and feel better about it and feel like you're in a good place and then revisit it in six months time and realize that you can change things up again. You know, I don't think that there's, there's definitely not a right and a wrong. Mm. Simplicity for me within the creative head, what do I do in terms of what I do with a creative bent? And I suppose podcasts, podcasts are part of that. Simplicity within that creative process is like a nirvana to mm. me. Like that's the that's that's the beauty. That's the end goal almost. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because then you can question whether or not the extra stuff, particularly the things that are on the periphery, whether or not they're actually holding you back from reaching that state of flow mm. or not. And I know for me they do mm. absolutely. You know, and the more I strip things back to the essentials the more rapidly I can get into that state of flow. Uh, I'm thinking specifically at the moment I'm writing a book um, and it's not easy to tap into that Mm. mode, you know, and the more distractions I have, even good distractions, they, the more time it takes me to, to find that. Yeah. That, that state of flow. That's a really good, really good insight, Ben. Thank you. Well done. All right. Gold star for you. Finished. Yeah. Emma has the next question, and this is pretty pertinent given your state recently. New South Wales. What's your plan of action to get back on track when you've hit a bit of a rough patch and fallen off the slow path? This is a very good question. I think the first step is acknowledging that it's happened and accepting that it's happened. Mm. Because otherwise, uh, if you're anything like me, 
you will beat yourself up over it for weeks, you know, saying uh, someone who's who's kind of neck deep in, in slow and mindful living should never get to this point. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes life just happens. All best intentions and plans can change, mm. you know, and I think you guys know that we've been in a, a period of time like that for the last month or so. And it's been really interesting actually that for the the most part, I haven't slipped into that mode of beating myself up, which has meant that I'm able to actually deal with it much more quickly and much more effectively than I would have even a year ago, where I would have just spent weeks telling myself that I was, you know, an idiot. Um, so I think that's the first the first step: take away judgment hmm. of it. Then I think it's really a matter of a bit of self reflection, you know, going back and making a list of the things that you have done over the years that have had a positive impact on the speed and the complexity of your life and just make a, a, like a really scattershot list, anything that comes to mind, anything that's had a positive impact. It could be, you know, eating good food and what kind of meals and, and, and what your breakfasts and lunch and lunches and dinners look like. It could be how much sleep you were getting. It mm-hmm. could be whether or not you were meditating or exercising or practicing yoga or going to the gym or, you know, stand up paddleboarding or whatever it is that has had a positive impact on you at some point in terms of living this slower kind of pace. Just make a list of them and then look at that list and circle the ones that you're still doing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and you might find that that backsliding has been paired with like letting go of the things that have been working for you. And I think that in that way, it starts to highlight what has slipped off the radar and what, uh, you know, what, what small steps you can start to take to bring some of those good things back. But I think the essentials are good food. So okay. Go- so yeah, sorry, just to, to come back. Cause Emma's asking for a plan of action yep. and you're giving a plan of action right, right now. So first step, Make a list. List. Yeah. Make a list of all the good things Mm. that have helped you slow down over the years. Mm -hmm. Figure out which of those you aren't doing. So step two, self-evaluation. Yeah, exactly. Step three, I think, go way back to the essentials, which are food, Mm -hmm. sleep, Mm -hmm. and some kind of mindfulness practice. Doesn't so have to be. It's almost a diary sort of thing. No, it doesn't. I don't, I don't are, think so. Are you so. asking them to track? No, I don't think okay. so. I think it's just starting to put those three things at the front of mind again. Because sleep, yep. eat, yep. mindfulness. Exactly. Good sleep, good food, and one good mindfulness practice a day. Mm-hmm. And it's that simple. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be just switching out. Like maybe you got so busy that you stopped eating a good breakfast. Mm. So get up 10 minutes earlier and make porridge or a smoothie or make it the night before. Yeah. You know, start to make things easy for yourself so that you can get those three essentials back on track. Uh, similarly with um, Similarly with sleep, set an alarm half an hour before you want to go to bed mm. and stick to it. Yeah. You know, start to prioritize sleep again, even if it's an extra half an hour. You know, like just make sleep a really key important thing to help get back on track because I'm astounded the impact that good sleep has. And this year has been a massive change for me in that previously when I'm under the pump, I would work through till midnight. I would just, you know, grind myself into 
the dirt to try and get things finished. And this year I still get things finished, but I don't stay up till midnight. What I've underst- I've learned is that <laughs> staying up till midnight, I'm kind of working at 30% of my capacity. Oh yeah. If I go to bed and get up earlier, get up an hour earlier. You know, I get three or four times more work done in that in that period of time. So, and I think that's honestly because sleep has such a huge impact on the way our brains operate, you know, the way we the way we can think with clarity and effectiveness. And then the third thing, which is um, some kind of mindfulness thing. And when people are tired and they're under the pump, they, like, this is one of the first things that go. They do away with the idea at this point in time of having to do 30 minutes of meditation or anything like that and just make time for slow, deep breathing for a minute or two, once or twice a day. That's it. Just find those tiny little pockets of mindfulness, of slowing down, of coming into yourself mm. completely for one or two minutes, once or twice a day. And those three things, I think, are the building blocks of kind of getting back on track. Mm. And for me, I know they have been. Because mm. it, it's just a matter of, why am I like this? I wasn't, I, you know, things were going along fantastically. Then I got a little bit busy and now all of a sudden I'm like a screaming heap. And then you start to think about why. Like, what are you laughing at? I'm picturing a screaming heap. <laughs> You have to picture it. You've seen me. <laughs> and that's when you realize, though, that you've stopped having a good breakfast. You've stopped going to bed at 9.30, even though you know that you need to. You've stopped with your meditation. You've stopped with those quiet moments. And they're all quite small in and of themselves, but they have such a huge cumulative impact. So I think if we can go back to those basics, that's where you're going to, to be able to, to sort of get back to an even keel. And from there, you start adding back in the things that, that you know work and that need a little bit more of you. To a certain extent, the mindfulness step, that last step, that's where our experiments sort of kicked in for us this year. It's not about, you know, getting back on track. It's staying on track. So it's like a fun way to engage mm. in that mindfulness stuff so you know the, the whole journaling the dig <laughs> journaling we'll never we'll never do that one again or even like eating like the sugar-free month yeah you know that sort of stuff like that was when we just little ways of ensuring that we stay on track before we get off track yeah absolutely but it sometimes it does happen Totally. Yeah. And I, I do think, though, that the stronger your foundation of, you know, slow living simplicity is, the less brutal the fall. You know what I mean? And the easier it is to get back on track, the easier it is to recognize that you, you've fallen off the wagon. Mm. You know, whereas I think when I used to be just at rock bottom and constantly burning out, it was harder because I didn't have this base level of, of skills, you know, of, of mindfulness skills. Whereas now I've got mad skills. <laughs> Sorry. Hashtag mad skills. Hashtag knowledge nugs. So, um, yeah, I, I hopefully that's helpful for, for Emma and anyone else at this time of year particularly. But, you know, go easy on yourself and take it back to the very basics. Oh, yeah. Haley's written in. And she asks, I always struggle whether to read these in first or third person. (laughs) I'm just going to pretend I'm Hayley right now, okay? I've recently seen on decluttering forums a lot of folks doing the wonderful steps of de-owning 
heaps of clothing. But in disposing of them, they're choosing to just throw them in the trash or dumpster. I really struggle with this. I know that it makes it easier to just throw stuff out. But then I think maybe it shouldn't be easy because easy doesn't make us want to change habits. I know obviously I can't control what others do, but wonder if there is a way to use my voice to share that it is important to dispose of unwanted items in a responsible way. I'm wondering on your perspective on this, Brooke. It's a very good question and a really, really important one. And I don't it doesn't it doesn't only apply to clothes, of course. I think it's something that we see a lot of when people become motivated to simplify like all they want is to move on to the next stage. And I completely, completely get it. But I think that Haley's question is a great one because not only is, what are your thoughts on it, but what can I do to help educate people, Mm. you know, on, on the impact that it's having and the different choices that they have. So, I mean, we've, we've kind of come up with this list of seven different options of what you can do with your stuff. Once you've decided that you no longer want to keep it. And it taps in quite a lot to um, B. Johnson's five R's, which she talks about on the zero waste home. Reuse, recycle. Yes. Like that's what she's based hers on, but it starts out by refusing. Yeah. Then reducing. Yeah. Then reusing, recycling, and then rotting. Yeah. So composting. Yeah. So it taps into that. It does. It's a pyramid of, of decluttering. Yeah. Different things, different ways to deal with it. All right, so seven. So we'll start with the, well, it's like a pyramid. If people can picture a pyramid, the the top is the pointy end. So we'll come to that last because that's what you try and minimize as much as possible. Yep. Okay. So you start with the big chunky section at the bottom, (laughs) the pillar of the pyramid. And the pillar of the pyramid pyramid is? Donation. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, That can mean shops like just bundling together all your clothes or you know your excess kitchen utensils whatever it is uh, and taking the entire contents to the local op shop it could be a goodwill or you know the salvos or whatever it is where where you live it can also include things like free cycle uh, where you can post online or facebook buy swap and sell groups things like that you just all you want is to give these items to someone who will use them that's it. That's the only kind of, the only kind of criteria. Uh, so there's there's really specific programs out there for items like mattresses and kids' toys and car seats and things like that as well. So you can use as much of your time as you want, I guess, to figure out where this stuff goes and if there's a you know an ideal place, uh, or you can just go the the bulk kind of route and anything that's usable or saleable can go straight to the charity shop. Mm-hmm. Next up, so one step up, is selling. Mm -hmm. So the stuff, again, needs to be in a usable, saleable, safe kind of condition. But you can either sell it on eBay or online, again, Facebook groups, uh, or you can have a garage sale. The reason Good old-fashioned garage sale. Yeah. The reason that that's not the bottom Mm. uh, is because it's a pain, (laughs) to be honest, selling stuff. Uh. We've done it a bit. And if we had something to sell that was worth a chunk of change, I would still sell it rather than give it away uh, in most cases. Mm. Eh, actually, no, I say that. That's not true. We've, we've, we've given a lot away. Basically, just give everything away. Uh, but if you want to recoup some of the cost of the things that you're selling, mm. fine. But 
I think one of the key things with selling is set yourself a time limit. And if it hasn't sold in that period of time, then just let it go. You reckon? Yep, absolutely. So Otherwise, when we did our garage sale, for example, yeah. everything that was out on our lawn, we knew was never coming back in That's the house. That's so true. It didn't. It just it went didn't. in boxes. It and went then, in boxes and yeah. then we took it all straight to the charity shop. That was a long time ago. It was, that was like our first foray into simplifying. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we had a lot of crap. Uh, so I think nothing wrong with selling, but I do know that it can be a bottleneck for people. Mm-hmm. So you really question whether or not the $5 you get for that thing is going to be worth your time yeah. and your energy. Yeah. Next up on the list is uh, fixing it. Mm-hmm. So I think one of the frustrations is that there aren't many opportunities for us to fix and repair things anymore, you know, like appliances and stuff like that. And we're starting to see a shift mm. in that. There are a few organizations uh, in Australia that now fix for a small fee, uh, like appliances, like a fan or a hairdryer or something like that, that would otherwise go in landfill because it has nowhere else to go. You know, most op shops won't take electrical goods. So if you've got something and you think it might just be like a, a small job to fix it or a rip in a pair of jeans or your shoes need to be rehealed, look at getting that done rather than buying new. But Obviously, if, it's all about whether it can be fixed. That, of course. And that's why it's sort of where it is because not every not everything is, is fixable. No, not everything's fixable. Um, and also, you might not want it anymore. No, exactly. Yeah. But, you know, consider whether or not you can give it to a group of people who will fix it and then sell it. Or, you know, I think mm. there are there are different yeah. options there. Yeah. The fourth step up is reusing. So you can upcycle things. If things have got a secondary use in the house, consider doing that. Similarly, give them to someone else who's going to upcycle them. Like there was a, um, I read about it recently, a mattress recycling organization. I think that they use the mattresses once they were beyond, you know, sleeping usability as garden planters or something like that. Uh, yeah. So anyway, there's there's. Do you know how much dead skin is in a oh, mattress? I don't care. I suppose that's good compost. <laughs> that's disgusting. Sorry. <laughs> What's the fifth fifth step up? Recycling. So I've got reusing ahead of recycling because it, obviously recycling uses a lot of resources. And if you, if there's another way to prolong the life of an item by reusing then do that ahead of recycling. You know, it used to be that recycling was like the green alternative and it's still not a bad, like it's, it's, it's not a bad thing. I'm not rubbishing the idea of recycling, but so much power and so much water goes into recycling that ideally you just want to limit the, the amount of times you need to recycle things anyway. Mm. But, and often you're at the mercy of like your local government area mm -hmm. with recycling. I mean, some are very, very good, but some of them just don't, prioritize it and it's just yeah disappointing once you find out where all that stuff goes no it really and how really much is of it is actually just goes to landfill it's yeah. so disheartening when you realize like when you dig a little bit deeper and realize mm. what your local government might be forced to do i'm not putting it on them necessarily but they might be forced to put a lot of that stuff into landfill even though you think and you're going to the trouble of mm. recycling so look at reusables and you know, kind of diverting stuff away from those programs as much as possible before going there. Uh, the sixth one is composting. So similarly, if you can, if you can rot it, then rot it. Yeah. If it's an organic material. <laughs> yeah. Just... Food, obviously, but there's, a, there's actually quite a lot of um, 
fabrics and, and things now like that that, is, that you yeah. can that you can pop in a compost heap or and packaging like we've yeah. we buy packaging that we can compost yeah exactly yeah. so look at that as well as an option and specifically i guess to Haley's question about clothes there are some just do a little bit of research as to what can be composted and what can't i mean cotton obviously yes wool obviously yes hmm. uh, but beyond that just do a little bit of research hmm. and, and then, then finally eat it yes so you know, just if this all else fails, just pop it in the mouth, start chewing. If you break some teeth, spit it out and do your best. Okay, so after eating it, is throwing it away. Okay. Yeah. Uh, slightly less funny than yours. <laughs> uh, quite, you know, you, and you know what? I get it. it it's incredibly challenging when you're going through this process of decluttering to literally toss stuff in a bin and that's why we've given these other options for you to to work through before you get to that point and there's a second part of Haley's question that I want to talk about in a sec but um, you know just really try and be creative and curious and uh, like a little bit ambitious as well with your decluttering mm. and really Maybe go that extra half step to try and avoid just chucking stuff out yeah, needlessly. Make it a challenge. Yeah. yeah. You know, but which brings me to the second part of her question, which is really insightful. She said, because I think maybe it shouldn't be easy because easy doesn't make us want to change habits. And she's bang on mm-hmm. with that. She really is. And I think that that challenging, uncomfortable feeling that we get when we toss something in the bin is a really good opportunity to listen Really to is. our like our conscience or our gut saying, isn't there a better way to deal with this? From that, and look, maybe the answer is no. Maybe there is no better way to deal with it. But I think the fact that it's challenging and uncomfortable, use that as fuel to make different choices going forward. You didn't know what you didn't know a year ago or a month ago when you bought it. You didn't know, but now you do. And you can use that that really kind of heavy pit of the stomach feeling that we get to fuel action and change over time. So I think like that's brilliant. And Haley, like to, to answer the final part of your question, just talk about it with people, show them your Mm. processes, Mm. share with them any systems that you have or any resources that you come across and just be, be the change. You know, I think people will be more receptive when they see others doing rather than telling. Mm. So I think that that's a really good way of, of helping other people kind of understand it and inspire change and even just draw attention to the fact that we do feel uncomfortable about getting rid of stuff. And maybe over time that's going to impact people's choices indirectly as well. Good question. That was good. Well done. I like the, I like the pyramid. I like the pyramid too. Very well done. The last question for today's episode is a combo question. So it's because a lot of people have written in about this and it's all about the theme of why. Because we've we've talked about it quite a lot recently. Cried about it even. Cried about it, talked about it. How can people get back to living in their alignment or their why when they're tired, worn out, anxious, depressed, sleepy... <laughs> Hungry. A little hungry. 
it's all about the alignment, getting back to it. I must mean it's a bit, bit on back, get to get back on track, but it's more about the why aspect. Yeah, so it ties in really nicely with yeah. Emma's question, yeah. I think. But I think it, it goes back to that really specific thing. You know, um, like I'm thinking about one person's email in particular who asked me this question and she she just said i'm i'm tired like i'm I'm tired and i understand that i'm not living in alignment with my why but i don't know how to get back there because i'm so tired and that's hard like i get that when you are at the like at your wits end and you know that you're not living in alignment with what's important to you that can be a really defeating feeling So first of all, I want you to know that you're not alone in feeling that. I think everyone has times where we we make choices and decisions that aren't in alignment with our why and then we suffer the consequences, sometimes because we simply have to. So you're not alone and I don't want you to beat yourself up over that feeling either. I think the key is that you've recognized it, first of all. You know, so you are myriad steps ahead of where you were before you even understood the idea of why because you have it there and maybe it's changed or maybe life's changed maybe things are a bit harder or more complex at the moment but you have that why you have that foundation and that's vitally important I think for for moving ahead but what I would encourage you to do is to go back and revisit that why because it could be that things have changed just enough for it to not be quite the right fit anymore or it might be time to take another layer off or dig a little bit deeper or get more specific in terms of what your why looks like because sometimes you know when we're first starting we have these sort of you know foggy ideas of our why Mm. this kind of nebulous idea of our why we're like well it's my family and I want to do good work and I want you know I want time yeah it's all about the big picture that's where I'm still at at which is yeah. Which is, you know, it's. I honestly think it's part of the process because yeah. then I think the more we are challenged and the more then we challenge ourselves to dig a little bit deeper, the more specific we can get. Mm. And not only is it about, you know, family, for example, but it's what does that look like? Mm. You know, is it what, what gift are you giving your family? Mm. What time do you spend together? What things do you do together? And mm. you, you start to get more specific. And I think that possibly it could be that those kind of nebulous higher level wires aren't quite cutting through at the moment. So revisit it and start to think about your why and write it down. You know, you're not, you're not writing a contract. You're just doodling ideas at this point in time, but start to write it down and, and look at what resonates and what doesn't and what has changed and what hasn't. Mm. And sometimes I think even it's just as simple as looking at those words on a piece of paper again, that can ignite something. And it might be just enough for you to say no to the next thing that comes along that's not in keeping with your why. And from that point, you can start to, to move forward in really small, significant ways to getting back on track. Like there's, I, there is no, as far as I'm aware, miracle cure. There is no yeah. like pill no. that you can take that's like, oh, I'm back to living in alignment with my why. It's, it's head work and it's mm. heart work and it's hard work. Um, but it's absolutely worth doing, you well, know. One of the things you, you touched on it there a little bit was that you often start off with that foggy why, mm. and it's quite grandiose, like it's big picture yeah. why, and that and if it's too big a picture, you can 
I don't know, sometimes it's really hard to connect with it and align That's with so it all the, all the time. Then after a time, and I'm starting to do this at the moment, you just get more granular in terms of working out exactly what that why is. So you break down components, you look at this, does this work? No, so you push that to the side, you know, like it's breaking, filtering down that to a more granular level that you can really nail and that speaks to you more. So I think it is just all about the process and the evolving process that actually never stops. I I think that's exactly right. I really do. And I think at every step, rather than feel like I got it wrong, because you certainly didn't, there is no wrong in doing this process. It's more about what you're iterating and learning and uncovering, I think. Uh, You know, it's that uncovering that, that is really incredible. I mean, I think when you start on, on a, like a long path, for example, you might be able to see the destination, but it's far off and it's kind of like you can't pick out the detail. You can't even see every step between where you are and that destination. You can only see like maybe the first one or two or three. So you take them and then after that first one or two or three, you can see the next one. So you take the next one, you can see the next one, you take the next one. Before you know it, you look back and you've made more steps than you thought possible and you're closer to the destination and it starts to become a little clearer, you know? So I think that rather than, than feel like you're, you're failing or because you're tired and busy and overwhelmed and not making those decisions in accordance with your why, it's probably a period of transition and and an opportunity to revisit it and to maybe get that tiny step more clarity and from there you 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 begin to be able to make those decisions with more confidence as well I think and I I think that's really important actually because when we don't have confidence that we're doing the right thing or making the right choices we well I can only speak for myself but I find it harder to say no I find it harder to stand up for my decisions when I don't have that clarity do you you know what I mean like absolutely it's 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 really difficult to justify your decisions when you don't have that language Mm. so view it as an opportunity to kind of pull that language out and then Mm. if people question you or you question yourself you're like no but this is why Mm. this is why i'm doing it so i think the first step though is to really just put pen to paper and see what comes out talk to someone talk to your partner talk to your friends talk to your family talk to your kids about it as well you know um but but don't be afraid to to shift it Mm. as well because life changes and you're Priorities change uh, along with it. Good? <laughs> really good. Thank you. It's a, it's a really good question and not, not an easy thing to deal with, though, particularly when you feel like you've done all the work to get there and that you worry that you've gone backwards. I don't think you've gone backwards. I think you've gone forwards to a point that you don't actually recognize at the moment. That's all. Yeah. 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 Thanks again, Haley, Emma, Jane, and all you combo questioners out there. <laughs> combo. Really enjoyed that hostful podcast. We hope that you did as well. We will see you next week. Have a fabulous week. Jackrabbit FM. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, podcast.